Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Anyone else's necks hurt from the whiplash covering the Detroit Red Wings this season? We go from like despondent prospect profiles, here's what the next three months of pain are going to be and how you can manage it, to the Red Wings are mathematically in control of their own playoff spot to what are they going to get for Tyler Bertuzzi and oh my goodness it's a first round pick in value again to Tyler Bertuzzi has been pulled off the trade market by Steve, Steve Eisenman to uh, Philip Zadina's back and and playing hockey reasonably well again I no information is good for 20 minutes ahead of whenever it's released on the one hand as content creators it's lots of content we appreciate that on the other hand, as content creators, by the time we put out the content, it's no it, good. It's out of date. It's we, incorrect. We are so firmly in podcasters' curse territory. Did you see that uh, that uh, Steve, the Steve Dangle show, put out a ninety-minute episode mere hours before the O'Reilly trade? <laughs> <laughs> and the fact that we're laughing at that right now, we are absolutely condemning ourselves to the same fate. Yeah, the, there's a trade call going to the NHL's office as we speak for. Yeah something earth shattering. I'm sure there is a lot to talk about. So we are going to jump right into it. Folks, welcome to the winged wheel podcast here to talk to you about all things, Detroit Red Wings hockey on and off the ice, the world of the NHL and whatever else we can get to that is going to be, uh, immediately expired upon hitting publish. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we are going to lead with the big news. Tyler Bertuzzi reportedly off the trade market, at least for now, with Detroit making waves and pulling themselves uh, by the bootstraps back into the playoff conversation. What does that mean? Is that a mistake from Steve Eisenman? Is that actually what Steve Eisenman's doing? Is this a ploy? What could the future of the Detroit Red Wings look like if they pass March 3rd with Tyler Bertuzzi still in the roster? Uh, we'll be recapping Detroit's game since last episode, which uh, includes their fifth straight win uh, over Calgary and last night's loss to the Seattle Kraken. Uh, we'll be discussing Jacob Vrana, uh, recalled to the Red Wings and still has not seen uh, ice time. We'll be talking about whether he could get back in, uh, what that might look like, and what it would look like if he um, was sent down to Grand Rapids without uh, getting back in the lineup. Uh, we'll be taking a closer look at that playoff race and and trying to uh, separate out fact and fiction and what's just blind hope and what's, uh, you know, selling tickets. Uh, and news from across the NHL, like we said, the Ryan O'Reilly trade was uh, a, a whopper uh, and there's some other trade or lack thereof of trade news across the NHL. All of that, and I can't believe I'm saying this, and a lot more. So we'll see where this episode takes us. This is going to be a very genuine early days winged wheel podcast where we promise you all of these content topics, but I think the discussion on this one is really going to drive what we actually get to before all of that, though, I do want to tell you about two things. First of all, uh, the special auction that we have going on right now to benefit the Jamie Daniels foundation. It is a package Detroit Red Wings experience. You get two tickets to the Detroit Red Wings game on, uh, February 25th against the Tampa Bay lightning at the LCA, uh, really great seats. And you also get a meet and greet with Ken Daniels up in the gondola where him and Mick uh, call the games. Who knows who else you might run into up there. Mickey's often up there, of course. We've run into Jimmy Howard up there. We've run into, you know, Sean Horkoff, lots of other players. Um, It is a uh, a really cool experience being up there and seeing where they call the games from. Uh, In addition to that, you also get a piece of Winged Wheel podcast uh, apparel. 
Uh, you'll likely choose the Mickey Redmond signature style flannel, but if, if you want one of the quarter zips or anything else from the shop, we'll throw that in for you as well. So the link is in the description of this episode. We also tweeted it out. Uh, bidding ends uh, mid, well, by the time you're listening to it, mid this week uh, in the evening. So uh, make sure to get your bids in and uh, all that benefits the Jamie Daniels Foundation. Also in benefit of the JDF uh, and their mission to fight substance use disorder, uh, Winged Wheel Podcast Night Slash Day at the LCA. It's our fourth time running this. It's a partnered event with the Detroit Red Wings where we host a live episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. We've featured uh, special guests like Ken Daniels and Mickey Redmond uh, at our previous ones. There's going to be a meet and greet, giveaways, merch, prizes, all of that. We have some bonus goodies for you this time. Uh, in addition to the uh, the meet and greet with the hosts and more importantly, the special guests, your ticket also gets you access to the Red Wings game Saturday, April 8th against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, that is a discounted ticket. You get a special Winged Wheel podcast discount as well. Uh, a portion of the proceeds uh, benefits the Jamie Daniels Foundation. So special thanks to our friends at the Detroit Red Wings for that. Uh, there is going to be a lot more festivities surrounding it. More details are going to come soon. Uh, we are working with the team to figure out how we're going to alter the schedule because uh, the networks did change the time of that game from the typical evening game to a 1 p.m. So we will let you know once those are finalized. Stay tuned for more. DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP to get your tickets. They do keep selling out. I think the lower bowl tickets sold out <laughs> again. We just added a bunch more and they've sold out again. So uh, they do go fast. DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP. All right, let's let's start off with what everyone wants to talk about. Tyler Mott. Exactly, Tyler Mott. Last night on Hockey Night in Canada, Elliot Friedman reported that uh, it is believed that Tyler Bertuzzi, for at least the time being, while Detroit is in the playoff hunt mathematically, uh, he has been removed from the trade market. So Steve Eisenman is uh, now at least pointing towards keeping Tyler Bertuzzi, who has seen very much improved play uh, on the Red Wings. And there aren't, I guess, reportedly there aren't active trade negotiations going on. Bertuzzi coming off the market, uh, and that's one less premium piece that Detroit could potentially sell on the March 3rd deadline. So a lot to unpack there. Initial thoughts upon hearing that. A bit of surprise. Um the one piece of context that we we absolutely need to add because it is relevant for the entire rest of this conversation, it's never a bad idea to take the time that's been given to you. So we still have three-ish weeks to the trade deadline. A lot can transpire in that time. Eisenman didn't need to move him this week. So if he wanted to take an extra week or two to think about some things, one way or the other, there's nothing wrong with that. Now, do I think the Red Wings can make the playoffs? Unlikely, but yes, they have a legitimate shot. The math is in their favor right now. The rest of their schedule is not in their favor. The way they are playing um, gives them a good shot as well. But is this the year the Red Wings have been building towards? No. Could Tyler Bertuzzi get them a very significant piece to help them for the next 10 years and their contention window? Yes. So if there is good value out there, you have to do it. It's, I understand the, the rebuild and the playoff drought is long and significant. I understand that this probably, if they do trade him, 
in the middle of a playoff race sends a really bad message to the locker room and, and the players won't take it well. But if there is a premium asset to be had, you have to take it. You should miss the playoffs now to win a Stanley Cup in five years. Now, obviously, that's not a, a literal translation, but that has to be the mindset. Even if you make the playoffs without Tyler Bertuzzi and get wiped in the first round. Okay. That is a fine outcome. That's actually a better outcome than I think any of us would have been expecting this year. I would, I would, I'm dying for those first two games, playoff games at the LCA. Yeah. Even if it's only two, that is going to do immeasurable good for the team and the fan base. Yeah. So to sum, to sum it up, my mindset is if you're getting a good return for Bertuzzi, you have to trade him. One big thing that's been missing over the course of this rebuild is the Red Wings have never had this premium deadline piece. Sometimes in a lot of years, they just didn't have anybody good to trade. Other years, like Mike Green, he just got hurt, tanked his value. It happens. Literally broke his neck before the yeah. deadline. That's how yeah. drastic it was. And then you have, you know, your Anthony Mantha trades where the Red Wings had to trade a good, young, cost-controlled player because they had no other way of acquiring even younger assets. Bertuzzi is that asset they've been looking for. So there could be a significant return here. Now, this is where I'm going to argue against myself. You're taking away jobs from me and Evan. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. But if Iserman is not getting whatever you would consider a good offer for Tyler Bertuzzi. Yeah. So for me, I, I'm looking at this of a first-round pick or a package of equivalent value to a first-round pick. So I'm if I say first-round pick, just understand that I'm not meaning that literally as a first-round pick. That's about the value I'm talking. If something like that is on the table, it has to be done. If it is not, if it's like a mid to late second round pick or it's a B-level prospect and they are confident that with Tyler Bertuzzi they can make the playoffs, is that one playoff round, and I guess all the games leading up to the playoffs, that experience for Lucas Raymond, Mo Sider, Philip Zadina, Jake Wallman pick, whoever you want, is that more valuable to the future than a mid-second round pick would be? I would argue probably yes. So what this argument comes down to is where is that cutoff line for you value-wise to yeah. make it worthwhile? Yeah, I agree. It's, it's all about the value. So you re, you laid it out really well, Brad, and, and I want to open you know, my reaction by saying I actually don't have a problem keeping Tyler Bertuzzi if he signs in Detroit. And I, I'm not going to qualify that by if he signs for a good price or good term. For the most part, we've seen for important players, Eisman sets the bar reasonably in terms of the contract. So I, I think if he stays in Detroit beyond this season, and he's obviously not traded at the deadline, then I am arbitrarily okay with this because Tyler Bertuzzi plays a kind of game that is really, really hard to find in the NHL. He gels with his team's most important players, namely Dylan Larkin, who, I mean, if you're trying to sell Dylan Larkin on a contract that's at least a little bit friendly to the team, you you want to keep his best friends and guys who he likes to play with. Um, and he's a, fan he's a fan favorite. He's a favorite in the room for good reason. We saw from the Calgary game, which was Tyler Bertuzzi's best game of the season, which we'll talk about in a little bit, the way this team is elevated when he's at his best, it, he is... 
I don't want to say one of a kind on the Red Wings, but kind of one of a kind on the Red Wings. So that's my my opening here is that if they keep Tyler Bertuzzi, but he signs, I'm okay with it. I agree though, Brad, if you go past the trade deadline, Tyler Bertuzzi does not sign and you can't get anything for him. They could trade him between the end of the season and beginning of free agency for, you know, minimal pieces. You trade his rights. Uh, but essentially, if you lose him for next to nothing or nothing, I'm sorry, playoffs or not, and I am a huge proponent of give this fan base and give this team one sniff if you can. Playoffs or not, that is a colossal mistake in my mind. It is not worth it for that sniff. No matter how much guys like me are going to go absolutely ballistic at the LCA, no matter how important it is for for Sider and Raymond and Larkin to get that playoff experience, to sell the team, to teach them what it's like to get there, you're right, Brad. Bertuzzi's too good of an asset that they've never had. Now, here's what I think actually is the case. I shouldn't say actually. This, is, this isn't based on information. We didn't get this anywhere. Um, nothing like that. I think my best guess here is that you're right, Brad, in that Eisenman probably isn't getting the value he would want for Bertuzzi quite yet. Bertuzzi has only started to play well pretty recently, like post-All-Star break. Teams aren't overpaying very early. Um, if the value was only like second round picks, middling prospects, maybe the best first round pick you can get was, you know, completely worthless, not this year, whatever it might be, then yeah, it is great posture on in multiple ways to say, put it out there pretty distinctly and tell teams, I am not trading Tyler Bertuzzi because I want to make a playoff push. Because one, what do other teams want? They want their own playoff push. They want their playoff hockey. So he is now putting an even bigger lens on Tyler Bertuzzi to say, this is a guy who makes a difference if you want to reach and succeed in the playoffs. So that is just selling Tyler Bertuzzi as that missing, you know, golden ticket for the playoffs and doing well in them, which is what he was being sold as to start. And two, and you, you pointed to this, Brad, these guys, you know, say for last night, they just put together a five game win streak. I don't care if all of them weren't pretty like the Edmonton Edmonton game or whatever. You win five of five, especially a couple on the road here against teams. You know, you shouldn't. I, I understand that Calgary hasn't been the best in Vancouver. Absolutely blows. But they got five of five. What does it say to that room if you pull out one of the most influential players in terms of energy and offensive dynamics when he's actually on? You owe it to them to give them as much run as possible. There are six games left between now and the trade deadline. Two of them are against Ottawa, who some people might put them out. They're only two points back of Detroit. One of them is against Washington. Uh, New York's not in their division. Tampa Bay is not going to be a factor on whether or not they make the playoffs and Seattle. But that's six games between now and then. It's not that many, but it's also quite a bit to understand if this team is actually within range. And there's no harm in giving them the opportunity. You tell the room, I believe in your ability to do this. Now, if they lose their next three, it'll tell you something. If they win another five in a row, then maybe it's not so crazy. The only risk on that front is, well, then all the other buyers are going to blow their load on someone else and and there goes all the buyers. But that's another point. I think one theory that I, I that leads me to believe all of this as well is, is sort of the fact that Iserman's been adding all these pieces in an attempt, maybe, maybe, maybe not, to to sway Dylan Larkin into finally signing that contract. You know, he he added all these pieces in the offseason you know the Red Wings are now sort of on the cusp of being in the playoffs 
what sort of message does that send, you know, not only to the room, you guys covered that, but also to Dylan Larkin, who's, you know, sort of come up now with with Tyler Bertuzzi through the through the trials and tribulations. Um, so I think there might be something there as well. So, yeah, it, it, there's a lot of time still until the trade deadline and a lot of games left to be played. Um, but I think it's it's a good statement probably to send out right now, being like, hey, I believe in this team. We're going to make a push. Tyler Bertuzzi is a key f- factor in that push. He's not available anymore. I, I'm game if uh, Steve Eisman just wants to go for some good old-fashioned blackmail here. Hey, Dylan, sign the contract. We're sending your buddy to Texas. <laughs> He'll like it there. He'll do well playing next to Sagan. What are your thoughts on barbecue? <laughs> <laughs> here's, a, here's an uncomfortable point that I don't think people will want to think about, but we, I think we need to think about it. There's a business aspect to this. I know it, it, it's hard to imagine Steve Eisman being under the same circumstances maybe Ken Holland was where ownership was really pushing, you know, make the playoffs at all costs. But uh, it's been stated by a lot of people, and I think it's very The right. Red Wings had also been making the playoffs consistently at that point in time. It was a different beast, yeah. I, I think it's very fair to state the LCA has not seen a playoff series. The LCA has not seen a single Detroit Red Wings playoff series. And think about the atmosphere at the Joe. You could have just said, Detroit, we can lump I the know. Pistons in. Yeah, it's, I, it I still know. works. But there is a business aspect to this. You can't, like, you need to consider the fan base, how they show up. Will they show up for a team that is destined to suck? You have to give them something. I, I think the Red Wings fan base is among the smartest, if not the smartest in the NHL. Being competitive for that long kind of creates that kind of thing. So I, I think fans are really understanding of the rebuild. But at the same time, you know, we are on this podcast talking about, yeah, the odds aren't really stacked in their favor. Even if they squeak into the playoffs, uh, it's not going to go well for them in all likelihood. And you cannot stop the hype from all three of us when the Red Wings were on this five-game win streak. Like, it is palpable how excited this fan base is to see this team clicking and winning. If the Red Wings had lost five in a row and this came out, then I would be very concerned. Totally. Totally. But I think if they're in striking distance of being able to give this to the fan base, whether or not you agree with it, and I, do, I objectively, I don't. I, I don't think that you do this purely for the business aspect, but then again, it's not my money. <laughs> uh, you have to know that that is a consideration from not just management, but ownership as well. So I, I think there's there's that piece to this. It could be like we're, we're thinking of, oh, maybe Eisman wasn't getting the offer and this is his way of leveraging the price up, et cetera, et cetera. I believe that to a degree, but we also have to think of Occam's razor here. It could just be, hey, playoffs sell tickets, they sell jerseys, they create excitement for next season, season ticket deposits are going to go through the roof. That's part of this. And Tyler Bertuzzi is a fan favorite. You're right. And I want to start by saying you are right about that. Um, We as fans, hockey media, they don't take that aspect of it into account enough. I know I know people do bring it up and it's not like hockey media never talks about it, but enough as they should because it is a huge driver. That being said, people who are very, very wealthy generally get that way um, because they know how to play the long game. And I'm not saying trading Tyler Bertuzzi is the make or break between, you know, that one asset is going to put you over the top for to be a Stanley Cup contender for a prolonged period of time. But we as Red Wings fans, especially to understand sustained winning Stanley Cups, that's going to make you more money. 
yeah, if the Red Wings get into the playoffs this year, obviously we're all going to be hyped. They're going to make some money off some gate for two or three games. You know, maybe sell out a few more down the stretch because those games matter. Of course. But long playoff runs make you a lot more money. Stanley Cups make you a lot more money. You get a lot more sustained income and revenue and profit when you're at the top for longer. And obviously, Eiserman knows this firsthand with Tampa Bay and his playing career with the Red Wings. This isn't new to him. So I don't think Eiserman will be influenced by short-term uh, profitability. I could see ownership maybe pushing that a little bit more. I think it is going to come down to a pure hockey decision for Eiserman. You know, the, the money's tempting there, but it's like that, you know, game with kids. You can have one marshmallow now, or if you wait 10 minutes, you can have two. That's that's essentially what this philosophy oh, is. Me and Evan are writing that down. Now. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I think Eiserman is going to look at this. What's more valuable to the future of this team? And like I said, that answer, and I, and I can't, emphasize this enough, that answer still might be not trading Tyler Bertuzzi. Totally, because if he's not getting the right offer, then yeah. that is the answer. You know, if, if the best offer he's getting is Dallas's second-round pick, which is going to be pick 58, yeah, you could very reasonably and coherently argue the playoff run, even if they don't make it, just playing competitive games into April is way more valuable for the development of this young core than that likely fourth-liner they would draft at that point. In the draft. Of course, you know, we'll never know. I can't say that enough. We will never truly know. Here's the thing, too, that we haven't talked about yet. This information got leaked and everybody always says, hey, nothing gets out of Detroit. Eisenman has a vault. <laughs> There's a reason why it always happens around trade season. Yeah. None of this information has come from Detroit. This is other GMs saying, hey, yeah, Steve stopped picking up the phone, essentially. Right. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, it's fully believable. Eisman's not taking trade calls or making trade calls on Tyler Bertuzzi, and that information's come from the other teams because they're like, yeah, he ain't talking to anybody. Totally valid. This could be him going, there are no offers out there. I'm going to make them sweat it out. And alluding back to a point you already made, maybe contract talks have picked back up with Bertuzzi. We wouldn't know. I, again, Eisman's a vault. I don't think that's the likeliest scenario here, but it's possible. They talked contract earlier in the season. Now all of a sudden they're saying, oh, hey, Tyler is still Tyler. We like this player. Maybe let's see if we can get something done and we've got a couple weeks to do it. Also plot possible. There are so many moving parts. Again, as content creators for the next three weeks, this is fantastic. <laughs> as long as Stevie times his moves for, uh, let's say, Tuesday and Saturday. Tuesdays and Saturdays. Steve, if well, you could. The the trade deadline's are Friday, and we are we are recording on the Friday of the trade deadline. Just so you know, we'll be doing coverage online and then you know, recording right after the deadline ends. So that Friday is safe. Here's a hypothetical for you. Bertuzzi signs a three-year contract for you know reasonable money, and I don't know what that is at this point. Six and a half to seven million, maybe, versus Dallas's 2024 first round pick this season in, uh, in a trade for him. Which one do you take? Uh, the first, for sure. For sure? For sure. I like Bertuzzi. But here's the question you have to ask yourself. 2024 first. Yes, I know. But here's the question you have to ask yourself. Are the Detroit Red Wings winning the Stanley Cup in the next three years? No. Like, all likelihood, no. And, you know, I understand a player, let's say that pick turns into pick 30. Let's say Dallas has a good run. 
are you getting a Tyler Bertuzzi level player at 30? Very likely not, even though Tyler himself was drafted way later than that. The Red Wings have had a late first round pick recently. Recently, I say recently, within the last five years. Joe Valeno. So if you get a Joe Valeno at pick 30, but you get 10 to 15 years of that player versus three years of Tyler Bertuzzi. What is more valuable to the organization? And again, it's a valid question because would you rather take a first line player for three years or a middle six player for a decade? I will, I can absolutely hear both sides of that argument, especially, you know, coming from a guy who much like you two has been saying, holy crap, this team lacks top end talent. But the ultimate tiebreaker for me is, are the Red Wings winning the Stanley Cup in that window? And if the answer is no, then yeah, the guy who's going to be here past that three years is going to be more valuable. Again, you could get lucky. You know, David Pasternak was picked late in the first round. Evgeny Kuznetsov was picked late in the first round. There's been a lot of gems in the second round. So it depends how confident you are in the team's scouting staff. But you could hear both sides of that argument. There's no right or wrong answer. You just have to really honestly assess what you think this team is. And that is actually what Steve Eisenman is probably collecting himself to do right now. He's probably looking at every factor going, can we make the playoffs this year? Is this for real? Are we legit? Okay, another hypothetical for you. Detroit goes 4-2, and 5-1. Forget the record, actually. Let's say Detroit, either by points or point per, points percentage, are the leading team to land that second wild card spot come trade deadline. Bertuzzi's been playing really well for these next six games, kind of like he did first Calgary. And they get a an offer that just meets your your personal line for what's reasonable for Tyler Bertuzzi, where someone is paying for the player that we know he can be rather than what he's been all year injured. What do you do? What do you do and what do you think Steve Eisman does? Well, you, you answer my question. It's over my threshold of what's acceptable. So even uh, if Detroit, even if they're in that spot, but again, everybody's threshold is yeah. different. My threshold is probably admittedly a little lower than most people. And I could almost guarantee lower than Iserman's would be. Brad's an easy buy. Yeah. <laughs> cheap date. Yeah. Cheap, cheap and easy. Um, <laughs> I'm leaving that in. <laughs> yep. Um, hey man, we, we speak facts on this podcast. It's okay. <laughs> but um, I, again... I know it would be tough on the room and obviously you would hope Lalonde and Eisenman could properly convey the message and understand, Hey, we are building for a Stanley cup. We are not building for a four game sweep in the first round of the playoffs. The Red Wings have depth this year. They got to this point largely without Tyler Bertuzzi this year. Yeah. The five game winning streak with him is great, but again, he's played a third of the games this year. If that, you know, he, he, he's he got it. Like good leaders have to be able to convey a message, even if it's an unpopular message and trading Tyler would very obviously be an unpopular move, but you still have to look at the long term. What is best for this franchise? If it was me, you know, I had the Red Wings finishing seventh in their vision at the start of the season. So that's kind of where I am at. With, with this team. This whole year is a big F you to Evan Lobsinger. I've heard that before. You're welcome for everyone who wants to be in the playoffs. <laughs> That's pretty much all I have to say. But to be fair, didn't you say Otto is only two points behind Detroit? Yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. seventh is still right there. So I'm not wrong yet. 
<laughs> that's that's <laughs> welcome to the show. <laughs> um, the recent streak of wins, you know, f- feels like a little bit of a flash in the pan. Like the team, I think will re- will regress back to where I think they are. I'll say it like I don't think there's anyone who's not untradeable. Like I think everyone on the Red Wings has a price and do I really care if, do I want the Red Wings to make the playoffs? Yes, because it would be from a fan perspective, it would be awesome to go to those games and be back as part of that energy and you know get the buzz going around the city about that team again. Do I want to do that every year for the next 10, 15 years instead? Yeah. Absolutely, I would prefer that. So, you know, you can't let recency bias cloud your judgment on what you want to do. If it's me, I still think anybody is 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 an option. And as a leader, you've got to make tough decisions. And I think this will be a very tough decision one way or the other. Um, but if it was me and the price, if somebody got desperate and the price was too good to say no, you got to do it because I just don't see this current iteration of the Red Wings team playing in four playoff games, you know, that value being more than what they would get for Tyler Bertuzzi. Safe to say, well said, Evan. Safe to say these next six games are going to be the most influential games the Detroit Red Wings will have played since uh, we started this podcast, save for their playoff series against Tampa Bay, right? Maybe even more so based on the ramifications of of how it could affect Eisman's decision-making. Yeah, well, and the next three games specifically should give the best indication. A team they are directly competing with for that last spot. Washington. And two legitimately good teams. Rangers and Lightning. Exactly. And then, you know, you have the Ottawa games, which if you... Those are important too. Like we just said, Ottawa's right behind yeah. them. But they also have both their goaltenders injured right now. They're pl- I'm pretty sure that who they have in net right now is uh, the goalie for my beer league team and someone they found uh, begging for change at a 7-Eleven. That was me. Yeah, I'm actually backing up. Oh, backing good up. for you. Yeah, thank you. Um, I had to pay for my own pads though. <laughs> did you get enough change outside that 7-Eleven? I cover? did, yeah. Yes. Attaboy. I traffic. Um I don't know how much you can read into the Ottawa game is because with this situation Ottawa's in, if you lose, okay, you can take a lot from that. But if you win, how much can you really take from it? If they go into this week against Washington, New York, and Tampa, and they somehow scrape out two wins, you can start to glean, okay, maybe this is for real because you have to beat good teams to make the playoffs. You have to play good teams in the playoffs. And based on remaining strength of schedule... The Red Wings have the second hardest schedule left in the NHL. You're going to have to beat the Rangers and the Tampas and the Washingtons of the world to get in there. These Ottawa games, there aren't going to be a ton like that the rest of the way. So if the Red Wings go into next week, even if they go 1-1-1, I I don't think you can fully buy into that team at that point because this is what your schedule is going to be like for the bulk of the season, and and 1-1-1 doesn't get you into the playoffs. That pace doesn't get you into the playoffs. We talked about this last last episode. The Red Wings have to carry a 600-and-something points percentage to get in. Yeah. That is incredibly difficult on an easy schedule. That is a very tall task on a very difficult schedule. Let's not forget, the Red Wings play in the Atlantic. That's the Thunderdome right now. The, oh. to, to me, it's it's they have to beat the teams they're in direct competition with. The 
The game against Washington on Tuesday is the most important game next week. It's a must win. If they don't win that, then I'm still I'm back to, you know, what sell sell everybody like if you need to. You know, they beat Washington, they lose to the Rangers, they beat Tampa. That's a hell of a week. You just beat two of the th- two teams you're, you know, mostly competing with. Like, yeah, to me, winning that Washington game is is sort of the line in the sand. Um, that I think that will sort of be all telling. But you know, if they be, if they beat the Rangers and Tampa and then beat Ottawa twice, my God, yeah, it's it's going to be the picture can unfold in a lot of ways and. As it usually goes, you can point to like the most likely path, but if the right offer doesn't come in, or Bertuzzi doesn't want to sign for the right contract, or, 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 you know, Elliot Friedman was very careful to say when all of this kicked off, things can change. And that carries so much weight. That's not just fence sitting. That is these kinds of things, especially around the trade deadline, are so fluid and with Detroit existing essentially in, in purgatory right now, it can go in either direction. And I don't care how stoic, steadfast, you know, big brass ones, steel spine GM you are, you go as the tides take you. And, and we have six games to see where those tides are going. And it may seem silly how hyper-focused we are on a few of these games. We have to be. Eiserman deadlines has to be. Right or yeah. after those games almost. Uh, three weeks is a lot of time, but six games is not a lot of games. Like he has to make some huge decisions based on not a lot of new information. And the one thing too, that actually really played in the Red Wings favor here. This is the first time this year they're healthy. This is the team. Like, is there anybody of, is there anybody at all actually missing right now? Let alone anybody of significance. They are able to try to Raymond. Yeah. Who will be back by then based on reports. Yeah. That's it. Like, this is who they are. And are they going to have this run of luck with injuries towards the end of the season? No, absolutely not. You know someone's going to get sick, injured. Nobody will keep a near full roster for any prolonged period of time. It doesn't happen in professional sports. So if they can't pull it off with a full roster in three weeks when they're down two, three guys, it's definitely not happening. All right, let us know what you think. I I have a sneaking suspicion that there are a lot of opinions on Bertuzzi. Um, and we are going to be covering this one, believe it or not, pretty intensely uh, coming up. So uh, just to give you an idea, like I said, March 3rd is a trade deadline. We will be covering, spending essentially our entire days covering the trade deadline and then recording right after that. So uh, stay tuned for our content schedule, wingedwheelpodcast.com slash podcast uh, to get that content schedule as well. All right, let's talk about um, the the last couple of games that the Red Wings have played. So last episode, we recorded right after the Vancouver and Edmonton games before the Calgary game. And the Calgary game ended up being a 5-2 win and one of the most thrilling games of the season for the Red Wings. It was, it really seemed like the return of Tyler Bertuzzi. Um, quintessential Bertuzzi game, getting points, setting up plays, um, uh, just kind of generating chances, scoring for the Red Wings in the like grindiest, most playoff around the net, getting slashed in the face kind of ways. I believe Larkin ended up with three more points. Uh, there is so much to like about that Red Wings game, and it honestly felt like top to bottom, almost a complete win. Even Helberg, who gave up a goal, like coughed up the puck on a power play and, and, and Calgary scored, he was fantastic after. 
had a did exactly what the Red Wings needed from him. Excellent game from the Red Wings. Yeah, it was uh, a complete effort. You know, I was worried about this game because I know what style Detroit plays and I know what style Calgary plays, and I was fully braced for another two one uh, one nothing two nothing snooze fest, and thankfully it didn't uh, turn into that. And yeah, a lot of huge games from key players. Um, obviously, Dylan Larkin still doing his thing. You mentioned Bertuzzi. Uh, one guy who's not getting enough credit for how much of a heater he's on right now. If you look at the say set, it, say it, Robbie Fabry. Ah, uh, I thought you were gonna say Pew Suter, but I believe no. no, no, I agree. Robbie, Robbie Fabry. Agreed. Yeah. Robbie Fabry. He the NHL put up a graphic most points in the NHL in February, and he was near the top of that list, <laughs> not far behind Dylan Larkin. Um, so Fabry's on a heater right now. That line of Zadina Sunkfist Suter is just torching the other teams like obviously they're the Red Wings fourth line quote unquote right now and they're playing other teams bottom six but they're running their show like the one advantage the Red Wings have over legitimately a lot of teams in the NHL is their bottom six is straight up better than most teams bottom six because the Red Wings have a lot of really strong depth because Detroit is almost entirely made up of middle six players which in your top six isn't great but in your bottom six that's excellent yeah and again this gets back to well yeah if you're not don't have 11 million dollar players in your top six and we understand the problem there and why (laughs) but at least they did a good job of you know maximizing (laughs) yes where they could um so yeah, and and the Red Wings are, are you know playing top to bottom. Phillips Zadina has three points, which doesn't seem like a lot, but for how this season started for <laughs> Phillips Zadina, it's it's an improvement. He has been playing phenomenally, and pucks are actually starting to drop when he's on the ice. He's got a goal, a couple assists. Like it's it's weird. He had a really nice play to set up uh, the aforementioned Pew Suter's goal against Calgary. He did. He played. He was instrumental in uh, Detroit's first goal against Seattle. Yep. Just a quick aside about Phillips Zadina. You know what I like about his game? He's not trying to do... He's not trying to be someone he's not in the NHL anymore. You could see for a while he was trying to be the player that he was drafted to be. And that hurts. It sucks when you you can't be that guy for the player even more so than the fans. That's been the, the whole topic of discussion. His shot still is like nowhere. Like it's just dissolved. I still feel like we need to... We need like a seance to, to resurrect that. But he is doing all the things right to set up his teammates around him and just every single small play up and down the ice, all 200 feet, you can see him grind, you can see him work, put in the effort to try and make good decisions and that's what I think he's been doing because when he was not scoring but making good decisions, his play was actually still a positive impact but the problem is all too often that led to bad decisions but that part we haven't seen yet and yeah, Philip Zadina, he's been putting in the work and it's nice to see, small, it's three points, but it's nice to see the results I test and analytically. Uh, obviously it was a late game, so I was watching in bed. I almost fell out of bed when he had that, and I don't use this word lightly, that Datsukian steal oh. from the, I forget which Flames defender, and turned it and walked around on the breakaway and pulled out an unreal move as the puck just kind of trickled off into the corner. That was a microcosm of Philip Zadina. That was him summarized in one clip. Everything up until the shot and then look at the hustle. Look at the talent. Oh my God. And that wasn't even close to a goal. Okay. Um, But yeah, it, it was, it was great to see. And you know, when you're getting contributions like that from your fourth line, you are going to win hockey games. You are just going to, out depth other teams. You know, if, if the Larkin's on a heater right now, and even though we've had many, many conversations, the Red Wings lack true top end superstars and they can't compete with other teams, top end superstars. When Dylan Larkin's on heaters like this, they can match those top lines, which means the difference is 
are in the depth and that's where the Red Wings win. And that's why the Red Wings have been winning. You know, Larkin's been keeping up with the, you know, McDavid's, Drysaddle's, Huberto's, uh, you know, Pedersons that they've been playing. And okay, good. So those are neutralizing. And now all of a sudden here comes Suter, Rasmussen, Zadina, Fabry. Hey, guess what? You Nobody else is scoring on your team. Our guys are scoring. We win. Yep. That, that's what it has been. It's a recipe for success. So Kubli scored twice that game and he had a yep. little drought. So that was good to see. Too. Yeah, that was really good to see. So, you know, obviously if you're on a five game heater, more often than not, everything's going to go right. Yep. Because you don't get on a five game heater unless everything's going right. And everything has been going right for the Red Wings for the most part. We won't single out a player or two that I know you really want to, but you know, we're on the optimistic side of today. Um, the downside is, is it sustainable? Well, as we saw against Seattle, no, Yeah, that's, that's the reality of hockey. Eventually not everything is going to keep going right. Very quickly before we jump to the Seattle game, uh, Dylan Larkin, after that game, uh, his six games played since the all-star break, six goals, six assists, obviously 12 points and has been shooting at above 27% shooting percentage. Some people were quick to point out, they're like, Ryan, that's not sustainable. I'm like, yes, yes. I, I know, but this is about his performance and he is playing among the best hockey in the NHL right now. Um, he even did extend that, that point streak against Seattle. Bertuzzi, like the 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 winning the puck battles along the wall and, and just creating plays and going in and retrieving in small spaces. Like they, what is it? They say hockey's played or, or games are won in a three foot by three foot box or something like that. That's Bertuzzi is among the best in the league in that area. Well, at, when we get to the Seattle game, if you want to talk about what might have been his most impressive play of the oh, season. So good. So underappreciated because it was at like 1.30 in the morning. <laughs> yeah. But it was a great play. But Larkin, I, again, you really cannot overstate how impactful he's been compared to the rest of the NHL. And I believe he was NHLPA player of the week as well. So he good was. to see him get that rec- recognition. Um, yeah. So that was Detroit. Five straight games. The streak did end with Seattle. Uh and honestly, the summary of that game in my mind is Detroit has played four games in six days, all completely across the country from home. Uh, they had a back-to-back in the middle of the week. They've been, you know, energetic games. That team looked gassed. They looked just a step behind, too many mental errors on offense and defense. I don't think Seattle like completely ran the show in controlling play, but I think Seattle was the much more efficient team. They took uh, advantage of their opportunities better. Uh, Matty Beneers is so good. One of my favorite players not on the Red Wings. Um, just wasn't Detroit's night. They didn't have a good night from Huso either. It happens. Again, <laughs> sustainability feels like one of the words of the day. Yes. Yeah. So that was Detroit's game. They did get a couple goals in. Uh, first was uh, Pew Suter in a frantic play, which, you know, started and was facilitated even in the middle of it by Philip Zadina and his hard work at both ends. Wallman was able to turn around and take a slapper that I believe hit uh, Grubauer in the head. And then Pew Suter had the, like a turnaround volley shot that went in the net. And that was just another demonstration of that line. Like that Suter, Zadina, uh, uh, Sunquist line have really been clicking very, very well. That's a nice bit of chemistry there. Especially, again, we talked about Fabry Suter. Believe it or not, I'm going to advocate for Pew Suter here. I love what he does in Detroit's bottom six. Ninth goal for him, quietly. People wouldn't think it. Um, but I think Jordan Eberle scored through Ben Sherratt and passed uh, uh, Vili Husso twice. Like it through wasn't the legs a, twice. Wasn't carbon copy play, but you were like, ooh, Ben Sherratt was more of a screen than an active defender, and Husso should have hmm. stopped it either way. Hmm. And it happened twice. Weird. 
Seattle was just, again, they were more efficient. Detroit had primo opportunities. Sunquist had like grade A 1.0 goals expected on that play, chances twice, and both of them just rolled off his stick slash he whiffed. Um, Dylan Larkin had two in the same play where it was either blocked or saved or he missed the net or whatever. Uh, you know, premium clappers from the point that just went a mile over the net. It just wasn't Detroit's day. Hronik and Sherratt, I think, I don't love that pairing. I understand the hesitance to move Sherratt further down, but I really want to see Mata and Hronik back together. That pairing, they just look lost together. Well, Mata makes almost as much as Sherratt per year now, so now we can justify swapping them. Close enough. Honestly, I would I, I would argue close enough. It's it's tough because I think Hronik's been having an excellent, excellent year. And you you really can't. Um, I don't I don't think he, his impact should be undersold, uh, but I don't think he's been having such a strong year where he can be the more defensively responsible of the two. You know, I still think Mata is the formula for Hronik. Him and him and Sherrod, they just looked lost on the three goals against for the most part. With without going too negative here, what I will say and and the one part that makes me irritated is there's times on this podcast. Uh, hundreds of times over the eight years where we've sat here and, you know, talked about this hypothetical line, that hypothetical pairing, you know, I think this guy would work with that that guy because of X, Y, and Z. And, you know, for the most part, it's all bullshit. It's just us, you know, spitballing, hey, in theory, this works. And like nine out of 10 times that theory is wrong. We have seen Cider and Wallman perform at an exceptional level this year. We have seen Heronic and Mata perform at an exceptional level this season. We know, we can definitively say we know what the Red Wings top four should look like because those pairings have both worked for a prolonged period of time this season. And the only reason they're not doing it is because Ben Schrott's a good guy who makes a lot of money. And I, I, I can't come off that argument because I think that's why it's happening. Ben Schrott is probably a legitimately great dude who is awesome in the room and his teammates love him. Oh, he's a leader in the room. Like that's very, very obvious. Absolutely. He is. And we love him for it. And he's a diehard competitor and, you know, guys that go to the wall for him. All 100% true. Other reasons are the reasons he's playing in the top four. He's making a lot of money. He's got a lot of term and, you know, everybody loves him. He shouldn't be in an NHL top four, let alone this top four. You look at Cider and Heronic splits with and without him this year. It's comical. It's it's actually sadly funny. And I don't know why they keep hanging on to it. Yeah, is $4 million too much money for a bottom pairing defenseman? Absolutely it is. But you know, you know when Ben Schrott was truly overpaid? The day he signed that contract. Now you just have to play him where he fits. Yeah, you even like, I'll even hear the argument of there. there's ebbs and flows and it's feast or famine with Ben Sherratt, which is what I, I genuinely believe. It's feast or famine. And, and to my liking, there's way more famine than feast. But like we've pointed out the, the good parts of his game ad nauseum on the show, like with the puck on a stick in the offensive zone can often do a lot off the blue line. For example, Olimata had an opportunity yesterday to step in off the blue line and said he backed when he had like 10 feet of space in front of him. I'm like, that's when you want to bench rot balls to the wall, skate up to the hash marks and just rip one. Uh, but yeah, it's not even about 
a discourse on Ben Sherratt, good, Ben Sherratt, bad, whatever. Look at the line. We've seen the pairings with the defensemen we have. Detroit's top four to five defensemen are what they are. There's no movement on this like Red Wings of years past. Osterley and Hag and Lindstrom, whatever, they can cycle through. That's immaterial. Cider Wallman works. Kronik Mata works. As long as Mata is physically able, and I know recovering from pneumonia is is hard. Like a lot of those minutes are hard. Your lungs physically have a hard time recovering that way. But if Mata is able, in my mind, yeah, that has to be the top four. Again, I'm not trying to say the last game was lost because of Ben Schrott. No, Hirona was bad defensively too. That the, the pairing was bad together. I just, I'm looking forward to the day and I think it's going to come. I, I think it's just a matter of time. You can only hold on to it for so long. I'm looking forward to the day where they experiment with giving those top four uh, as I said, and and pair Ben Chirot with whoever the third pair is. And if that means you want to give that third pair a little bit more ice time to spread it out, that's great. For me, it's more about uh, enhancing Cider and enhancing Hronik and maximizing Wellman. Exactly what I want. Even if you're a Ben Chirot fan and you're, and you're just sitting there listening, just seething right now at what we're saying, remember, if you think Ben Chirot is too good for a third pairing, okay, totally fair. I, I understand your argument. Teams that win have players in slots that outperform their slots. Exactly. Exactly. And that also gives them the benefit of giving them sheltered opportunities. You manufacture where they start the play, offensive, defensive zone, what kind of minutes you give them, matchups, et cetera. That's exactly why that's impactful. You give Ben Sherrod a lot of ice time against teams third and fourth lines that aren't super creative. His physical tools will thrive in yeah. that scenario where, where other teams... You know, it sounds overly simplistic, but this is truly what happens where the other team isn't outthinking him. Yeah, 100%. Where where if he's on the ice playing a simple game against the team that or a line that's give, playing a simple game against him, he'll do great. He's he's one of the better skaters. He's one of the uh, better physical players uh, out there. He would do just fine. When he's playing against the other team's top six, that's not going to happen. Yep. Most NHL teams against uh, their top six against Ben Schrott, not a recipe for success. All right, I do want to move us along here. Uh, the Red Wings, their next game before our next episode, which is on Wednesday, is that key, key, key Washington game on Tuesday that ends their road trip of five games. It's in Washington, 7 p.m. Eastern. Great news, folks. Thank God. No more 10.30 games. Their latest start is 8 p.m. Eastern. Sincere apologies to our West Coast fans. I know there's a lot of you, but... My brain simply does not work at 1.30 in the morning anymore. There, there's a lot of them, but there's more of us. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that is, uh, that's going to be the Red Wings next game before we chat. Uh, quickly here before we talk about the O'Reilly trade. And this, you know, if, if Tyler Bertuzzi, that news hadn't come out, this would be one of the biggest pieces of news for this episode. So I don't want to undersell it. But Jacob Vrana did not play against Vancouver and Edmonton, which we talked about last episode. Also did not play against Calgary, which we said last episode wasn't expected based on what we knew. Didn't play against Seattle. Here's my quick piece about that. I think any other set of circumstances where the Red Wings in their previous games weren't, in their previous four games on this five-game win streak, weren't scoring an average of five goals a game, Jacob Verano would have slotted in. But as a coach, you have, you simply cannot mess with a forward group that is clicking in a way like the Red Wings were, especially after that Calgary win. Think about our, our recap just earlier this episode. That was a top to bottom solid win from everyone, especially on that forward group from the Red Wings. How do you disrupt that? And 
for the first time in a long time, the one thing we have to mention, because it's it's legitimately true. It's not just, you know, the organization saying it to sell tickets. The lineup is no longer about experiments and seeing what works. Lalone has to put the lineup out there that he thinks truly is going to win that night. They're competing for a matter. playoff spot. They're yeah. in a playoff race right now. Regardless of what happens at the deadline, they are in a playoff race right now. And if he does not have Jacob Vrana as one of the 12 best forwards, he's not going to play. Again, obviously, we we could argue and probably will argue Jacob Vrana is one of the 12 best forwards on this team. But th- this is the mentality the team has. Now, when you're on a winning streak, when you're on a heater, when you're coming off a win, yeah, you never change that lineup. If it's working, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, they lost now. So you have reason to put Verona in there. You lost, and you only scored two goals. You, you can absolutely 100% justify tweaking the lineup now. By the way, Ryan, who's the Red Wings' next game against? The Washington Capitals. Hmm. The That'd Washington, be a good one. The Washington Hockey Capitals. If if we needed a little extra motivation for Jacob Verona, on top of the ton of motivation I'm sure he already has, would the Washington playing the Washington Capitals help that, Ryan? Yes. Do can I be a wet blanket yet? Or do I have to wait? No, no, no. Go go for it. Go for it. What if Lucas Raymond returns? Are you gonna take two? Did four- Lucas Raymond used to play for the Washington Capitals? You are gonna keep Lucas Raymond out with no, J- Oh, I didn't say I'd keep Lucas Raymond out. No, but if Lucas Raymond returns, someone has to come out of this forward lineup to to make space for him. So you would take two players out of this forward lineup right now to make space for Jacob Verona? Yes. I don't necessarily I, disagree, but I want you to tell me who you'd take out. I don't know. I don't have a good answer. I Hey, here's here's some a bit of really good news, Ryan. The Red Wings don't have two black holes in their 12 forwards right now. That's so good. You are going to have to take out someone, two players actually, that probably don't deserve to come out of the lineup. What a time to be alive. Remember last year when we could pick about seven? There's not one right now. Sometimes you could pick players on the first pair or on the first line that that would deserve yeah, to come out of the line. I I don't know. Give uh, Kubalik because him and Verona are comparable players. Sure, I would say based on the whiffs last game, Sunny. I guess sure. Maybe maybe I I I would not be at all in favor of this. But for someone who just came back in, Zadina might sit out for a game. I don't know. Oh, you absolutely. Zadina's the one guy I can argue you can't. I don't think you can. You can't break that confidence. He finally has some confidence. He's finally playing good. Don't don't screw with it. Yeah, Kubelik and and Sunkfist are probably the correct answers here in this scenario where Raymond is back. Um, Again, you're pulling two out, but Verona can score goals. That's a premium in the NHL right now. He It's his former team. We don't need the Cholosky, you know, style stuff again with this team. Um, and I know I mentioned it before, but if you recall this guy to not play him, that's just cruel. Like that's, that's the type of thing other players around the NHL notice. Not that this one instance would have a super heavy thing, but that that's stuff that sways free agents. You know what I mean? Like I okay, not if stuff like that happens enough, like more than once, teams start to catch on, right? See, but I'm of two minds of this. First of all, he was brought up as as Raymond Insurance, and I again I stand by what I said that if if the winning had gone differently, if they had won, you know, 
two or three of the five, but lost a couple in an ugly way and, and it didn't come with a lot of goals, I think he would have got in. Uh, it's not uncommon for players to get called up as insurance and get sent back down without playing again. I don't think it's the nicest, and you're right, Brad. If they make a habit of doing it for an NHL-caliber player like Jacob Vrana, that will be noticed, but he's in a unique situation. Players aren't stupid. They know more than the general public about Vrana's, uh, uh, what's been going on off ice. And I don't know. I, I think this is a both things can be true moment. I can see the reasoning behind Lalone not wanting to shake up the roster. I agree. I agree completely for these four games. I also think that if Raymond comes back, I I could not sit here and say Lalone is objectively wrong for not wanting to pull more than one guy out of this lineup. Um, but I also would feel absolutely god-awful for Jacob Verona more than any other player that's ever been called up as insurance and sent down without playing because of the circumstances of his season. I think I am really pulling for him to make it in. I think that would be the best thing for him, and I would like to see the the Red Wings find a way to do it. But I can see a scenario where I could I could sit here and say, uh, I I can't say that decision is anything more than unfortunate. You know, we talk about all these things that could and couldn't send messages to the room. If you bring up a guy who is very beloved in the room and you scratch him and you scratch him and you scratch him and you scratch him and you send him down, the the, the boys aren't going to love that. But it could also be where the boys are like, "Hey, this team is vibing right now. Why are you bringing well, in someone who hasn't played?" That's before? why. That's why when it was on a winning streak, I don't think anybody, I don't think Verona himself would have questioned that. Yeah, you don't change a winning lineup. Everybody knows that you're on a heater. You ride it. You ride it. You ride it. You don't screw with anything. Verona himself has been around hockey enough. He knows that, and it would be fine. The other thing on the extreme end of things, why I, I would advocate for you got to get Verona a couple games and you got to get him soon. If you are still wanting to make the playoffs, but you're also, uh, yeah, there's some pretty good offers out there for Bertuzzi. Well, all, you have to replace that offense somewhere if you still want to compete for a spot. We've seen Verona do it. Or you want to keep Bertuzzi, but you can get something for Verona if you can yeah. show that you yeah. can score. I don't think Verona's value yeah. is there. I think it's value. No, no, tanks, I I, ag- yeah. I agree. But the Red Wings have a very good problem here where they have too many forwards and they have an opportunity where there's a trade deadline coming up. It might just be a depth player like Sunkist that ends up getting traded and, the and you know, the Red Wings can just roll with the four, other 14 guys they have. Whatever, I don't know. Lots of scenarios here. But it's a luxury they have, and it's a luxury they need to capitalize on. But but right now, there are so many question marks about Jacob Vrana. You need to start answering some of those questions. Can he still play? Can he still play at the NHL level? Has he fixed some of the flaws in his game? Is his rep in the room good? Does the organization have any faith in him at all? Does the coach like him? Like, There's so many things that factor in. You have got to start crossing these questions off of the list before you make the next move. And unfortunately, like we said, there's only six games to make some of these decisions. So right now, gathering information is pretty critical. We will see. Um, I think the Capitals game, all eyes will be on him. If Raymond is out for any uh, period of time longer, that would be a a, a tick in Verona's favor in terms of potentially slotting in. Um, all right, let's let's talk about one piece of NHL news before we get into overtime here, uh, and that is the the massive trade that Toronto moved on, uh, where they, you know, 
they shot their shot. This is this is going to be Toronto's biggest, if not only, move at the trade deadline. They might do some more, but uh, they acquired uh, Ryan O'Reilly and Nolachari from St. Louis in a deal that Minnesota helped facilitate, where Toronto ended up giving up their first-round pick in 2023, a third-round pick in 2023, that was Ottawa's, a 2024 second, uh, Adam Godet, Mikhail Abramov, uh, and a fourth round pick in 2025 that went to Minnesota. So they uh, they gave up a lot of pieces. They did not give up Nyes and, you know, the 2023 first is obviously the one that's in there, but they got Ryan O'Reilly, one of the been there, done that guys out of St. Louis. It fits the archetype of uh, the kind of player that a lot of people feel that Toronto needs. And it can't be looked over. Nolachari as well, I think, can fit up into their lineup really well. Kind of a big, messy trade. What were your initial reactions? I understand this for both teams fully. Um, the Leafs, you look at their contract situation and you know everything surrounding the team, their window is wide open right now, but it it can't be for much longer um, because they're either losing Austin Matthews in a year or they are going to pay him a billion more dollars than they already are. That makes things difficult. The, this year and next year are going to be their absolute best chances to win a cup. Yeah, you go all in. Uh, do I feel like it's an, a bit of an overpay relative to what Achari and O'Reilly have been producing this year? Yeah, maybe you could argue it. Um, the analytics seem to say O'Reilly's having a better year than his his raw stats would make you think. So, you know, you, you can take that end of the argument as well. You know, St. Louis did great on the return on here. They got a lot of valuable assets. Important uh, to note, sorry, O'Reilly's uh, salary was retained twice. twice. So twice. his effective cap for Toronto is only 1.875. Which they almost, they literally had to do or else I don't yeah. think this trade would have been feasible with the Chari. And obviously can't discount Chari. So yeah, it was a steep price to pay. Um, but I absolutely understand it. I absolutely agree with the mindset. You know, is Toronto set up for a lot of failure in four or five years? Absolutely they are. Who cares? It's not their window. They got to win now. Yeah, when you have Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, William Nylander, Morgan Riley all in their primes and you struck a bit of gold with Elias and Sonov returning to form of an actual NHL starter, you have to. You absolutely have to. The, the Leafs were one of the teams this year where there was no excuse to not go all in at the deadline. There was absolutely no excuse. Could you argue, yeah, is O'Reilly the best option they should have gone for? Maybe, maybe not. Who cares? They had to do something. And they took a big swing. I like it. I respect it. It's the absolute mindset they need to have right now. The nice thing about it is their center depth is outrageous. They have, without a doubt, the best center depth in the NHL now. And O'Reilly can really match up against anybody and We've seen him go from a bad situation on a bad team to a good team and be exceptional. So um, a little bit of the same flavor this season going from St. Louis to Toronto. So, I mean, he washed his hair with BioSteel the other night, so that's not great. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, uh, you know, new team, you don't know what's water, what's not. So um, that's, that's Ryan O'Reilly to a T. Yeah, so, I mean... I'll never criticize a team that's in their window and they they go all in, they push the chips in because that's exactly what they should do. And um, 
Kyle Dubas is fighting for his job. If they don't win a series this year, it doesn't matter what happens next year or the year after. And I know intangibles aren't the biggest thing, but this is definitely the type of guy who would drive through a wall to get what he wants. <laughs> you could have you helped yourself. <laughs> okay, but actually to draw on the first, the setup for your joke and make it a real point, the Toronto Maple Leafs have everything they need to win at least one playoff series. I don't care that I don't think their defense is a Stanley Cup caliber defense. I don't care that Kyle Dubas is really weird for hinging his uh, his whole career, pretty much the Leafs on Simsonov and Matt Murray. It could work out. It could fail. We've, we've seen crazier stuff happen. Um, I think Ryan O'Reilly genuinely, and I'm going to be a hockey boomer here, Like he brings that it factor. He knows what it takes to win a hard-fought series. Toronto has outclassed their opponents in terms of skill on paper how many times and just got steamrolled because they got played physically, they got uh, outmatched mentally, they got outcoached, they got outgrinded. We've seen them completely, uh, opponents completely eliminate Mitch Marner. We've seen them completely collapse on Austin Matthews. Ryan O'Reilly is the kind of guy, you're right, Brad, to burst, to, to burst through the wall. He is the kind of guy to Dri- drive through a drive wall. through the wall, yeah, to to put that team or give them at least what they should need to grind through those tough series. Playoff hockey is the hardest, most physical version of the game NHL players will ever face. There's never, ever, ever going to be a version of the Stanley Cup playoffs that doesn't come with extreme physicality and the mental grind to win the Stanley Cup. Ryan O'Reilly is the exact kind of guy that I think the Toronto Maple Leafs need. And yeah, I agree with what both of you said. You got to make your move. Is it perfect? Everybody else is too. Yeah. Is it perfect value? I don't know. I don't really care, honestly, if I'm a Leafs fan or or Kyle Dubas. You got to do it. Eventually, yeah, you're going to have concerns on whether you can keep Austin Matthews, whether you can keep Mitch Marner. Like, are you going to be able to afford all these guys in the future? I'm frankly impressed that Kyle Dubas did this without losing nice. This is what Toronto needs. And I will say, I think. It will still be very funny if they lose in the first round this year. There's nothing. If they lose in the first round, that's it. They're cursed. That's it. It, There's a higher power holding them back. The thing (laughs) is, because of the system that we're in, they're playing the Tampa Bay Lightning in the first round almost guaranteed. But if we were in a one versus eight system, which I am a strong advocate for, then they'd be playing the Tampa Bay Lightning. Shit. Maybe they are cursed. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I... uh, I saw that and I went, that's exactly the kind of player that Toronto needs. Good on them for doing it. Um, I think this is, I think Ryan O'Reilly is a more serious version of when they got went out and paid way too much for Nick Felino. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. actually the best way of putting it is, yeah, Ryan O'Reilly is what they thought Nick Felino was. Yeah, they, that was a weird one. That was a weird one in the moment and in retrospect where you're like, oh, other players are getting their guys. We're going to go give up this much for Nick Felino. And you're like, "Mm, okay, why? Man, I I don't feel for or I I don't I'm not surprised that Toronto fans are this frustrated though because they just are staring down the barrel of Tampa Bay again. Again. That's nuts. Okay. Uh we are going to jump into uh overtime here uh on this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast, which is proudly brought to you by our Patreon supporters. patreoncom slash Podcast. if you want to join the Dub Dub Club. 
what you get as benefits is you get access to our Patreon exclusive uh, overtime bonus episodes, which record right after these ones. We answer any questions that didn't make the main show. We let loose. We have a lot of discussion. Uh, Brad and Evan are allowed to say curse words. Um, and uh, it's just generally a good time. You get access to the Winged Wheel Podcast Discord, which is an excellent, excellent community. Uh, and in addition to that, you get entered into all of our giveaways. We're giving away two tickets to every Detroit Red Wings home game this season, most of them going directly to our Patreon supporters. So again, patreon.com slash Podcast if you want to join the Dub Dub Club and help support the show. That is the main way we get uh, all of our support. Uh, Tatar Sauce says, hey guys, how are you? Is there any former Wings player that's still in the league you wish was still on the Wings? Former Red Wings still in the league. Wow. Are draft picks allowed? <laughs> says something. No, it says something about the Red Wings and how long they've been bad where this isn't like a, there's no Sergei Fedorov out there anymore, you know? Like even Mantha's getting healthied by yeah, <laughs> Washington not, somewhat regularly. I don't, I don't want Mantha. No, 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 not Mantha. May, I honestly, maybe Tatar. I think. I was thinking maybe Nyquist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those two were fun. Oh my god, the answer might be Athanasiu. I was, I was trying not to say it. I think it might be though. He, he's. I think he might be legitimately the most productive player out of those who are still out there. Oof. Wow, this team has sucked for a long time. So my long. God. Oh, my God. We couldn't maybe, even. Maybe Nick Jensen? How's he doing? I was actually thinking Nick mm. Jensen. Imagine Nick Jensen on the third pair right now would be sublime. That would be not bad, actually. That right side would be phenomenal. Brand new sentence has never been said before. Nick Jensen on the third pair would be sublime. <laughs> no one has actively talked. And I like. I think Nick Jensen's an underappreciated defenseman. He was on the Red Wings, for those of you who don't know. Uh, he was traded for a decent haul to Washington a little while back, but yeah, I, I, I guess that's it. I think it's I think it's Jensen. It might just be. Please, 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 Red Wings, the future be good. We can't do this again. Armchair GM slash Genius says, "Do you think?" Oh, I hate you for this question because I know what it's going to do to this room. Do you think that the addition of video review across all sports is a net negative or a net positive? I personally believe it's a net negative. All hail Yanni Burgers. All across professional sports, I'm not gonna, I don't know. For some sports, they've gotten it right. So if we're talking all sports, I'd say net positive, but some leagues get it very wrong, like the NHL. Yeah, I don't know. I, you know what? No, I'm gonna switch it to it. Overall, it's a net negative because in, in some leagues, like the NFL, Video reviews don't feel out of place because it's a very stop-and-go league. So when you stop for a review, it's not that bad. But in the NFL, they have no idea what the hell a catch is and with how many of those reviews. In the NHL, it feels very out of place because it's a very fast flow-type game. So stopping for a prolonged period of time feels out of place. Yeah, I'm going to go overall net negative. I'm not saying there isn't a place for it. I just don't think a lot of the league's fully understand when and why to implement it yet. As usual, it's a perfect system in writing, but the flawed nature of humanity ruins it. Ah, yes. The worst part of society, the people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this one from Wyoming Wings fan says, could Eisenman be waiting to get Larkin's deal done before he does anything with Bert? Maybe he paints a better picture. 
I don't, I wouldn't even say could, I would say that's likely, right? You would want to get, you get Larkin done before you get Bertuzzi done. doesn't even matter if you know you can get Bertuzzi at a good deal, because let's say, for example, in a crazy hypothetical, Eisenman can't get Larkin done and he has to deal him. Then you're not trading Larkin and keeping Bertuzzi under almost under no circumstance. Agreed. I think time has kind of run out on being able to do that unless we see a, a miracle extension in the next two and a half weeks. I don't know. There's, I don't want to give noise to anything that's more based on our understanding. Uh, uh, everything is still behind lock and key. There's a reason like Brad said earlier in the episode, there's a reason why we have way more information on trade talk than a contract talk because trade talk means parties with across two separate teams. <laughs> A lot of which are way more leaky. Every leak we've ever got about the Red Wings has come from an organization. Everybody's like, oh, we knew the Cider pick before Cider was actually picked. Yeah, that was Vancouver. Yeah. <laughs> that got leaked through the Canucks. Yeah. <laughs> from like multiple avenues all at once. Yeah. Credit to J.D. Burke, who was the first on it. But yeah, it's anyways. Uh, I, I think, yeah, they want to see what they have with Larkin before confirming anything with Bertuzzi. Honestly, that's not even a question I would have thought would have made a lot of sense before because I would have said... What do you mean doing anything with Bird? I don't think it's very likely that he signs, but hey, look how things change. Um, Upper East Sider with a note here. Don't look now, but Kosa has two straight shutouts. Weeb Wheel Podcast says, is the Kosa was a mistake crowd just the normal idiots overreacting? It feels more pronounced this time, even by people who bang the drum before every draft that goalies take a long time to develop. It's chaotic, etc. Maybe I'm not jaded enough, but the shock Pikachu faces from people who don't know goalies are, aren't quick to develop who are finding out that Kosa isn't quick to develop is especially grating. And the last one uh, from Ryan Hanna's bachelor party in the dumpster behind that Tim Hortons off Homer Watson Boulevard, please come so that I'm not alone, says, why is anyone... I'm surprised you found that, yeah. What? Very specific. Uh, Hold on, I need to know. It's it, Joseph. Is that there something relevant specifically with you in that Tim Hortons, or he just picked a random... I think one? he just picked a random Tim's. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I don't... Yeah. Go to Tim's. Hold on. There's a couple on Homer Watson. I'm trying to figure out which one specifically he's referring to because it's a long road. Yeah. Anyways, uh, why is anyone surprised about Kosa and Wallstead? We were told before they were drafted that Wallstead had more structure and technique and would reach the pros first while Kosa had tons of raw skill and needed more time to hone his technique before reaching the show, but has a higher ceiling. And what we are seeing right now, Wallstead excelling in the AHL and close to being NHL ready while Kosa takes his time to hone his skill in the CHL. Uh, the thing that's happening right now is exactly like what we were told would happen. Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. Stay fresh cheese bags. So a few Kosa comments here. So let's just all in one. I haven't seen a ton of the Kosa was a mistake posts. I've seen a lot of concern and, you know, it's not just Wallstat. You look at the path that Spencer Knight, Yaroslav Askarov, other goalies who were drafted recently in the same range of taking. Kosa's has been admittedly far behind that. Again, not entirely unexpected, but you're always always hoping for the good results along the path, and, and they didn't really come until recently. Um, so nobody's saying it was a mistake, but the concern was very justified. Mm -hmm. But if it all goes according to plan, this is kind of what we should be seeing so you know it's under the concern was understandable this is 
kind of around the time you should see him start to turn a corner. So yeah, we're, we're still on path. Uh, concern is still justified, but optimism is still very justified. Yeah, I completely agree. I have no qualms with anyone who says that was a big risk to take that pick. Uh, I'm nervous about it until I see it pan out. And despite this being the path, um, you know, there's going to be a microscope on it. I think that's very fair assessment. I, I, I can't sit here and needle a second or third pairing guys like Ben Sherratt and say, you're not allowed to criticize draft picks. That'd be really two faced. No, by all means, but yeah, I'm not throwing in the towel just because things have gone as they predictively should have gone. Do I wish Kosa would have been a little bit better coming out of the dub, maybe reaching the AHL sooner and not needing ECHL time. Yeah, absolutely. But goalies are, I think defensemen take way longer than people appreciate. Goalies are that to a, you know, the nth degree. So yeah, I'm I'm not out on Kosa. I think anyone making a hard declaration on that is is jumping the gun way too much. If you are going to take a nuanced approach where you're in that gray area where you're like, I'm optimistic because he has a lot of potential or I'm pessimistic based on the circumstances so far, but it's too soon to say anything definitive, boom, that's a sweet spot. I think that's what's yeah. fair. Yeah. All right. Um, I think if we record any longer, we are tempting fate far too much, uh, especially fate having a name called Steve Eiserman. Uh, so why don't we wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast? We are going to um, be back with you again on Wednesday. Do be sure to check out that auction for the Detroit Red Wings experience and Winged Wheel podcast night slash day at the LCA. Um, again, links in the description of this episode, DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP to get your tickets to the event. Uh, but yeah, we're going to uh, see you Wednesday. Let's see what happens. See how they do again in the Washington game. We'd like to thank all of our listeners uh, for the show, um, new and old. I'm sure a lot of you are tuning in for the first time because of Bertuzzi News. Welcome. And for those of you who have been with us a long time, we, we can't say thank you enough. Um, if you want to support the show, again, patreon.com slash wingedwheelpodcast um, or just uh, give the show a rating uh, wherever you listen, subscribe, that kind of thing really helps out as well. We'd like to thank all of our name level supporters on Patreon. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grant Foundation, Akefer, Armchair GM slash Genius, Nick Perks, Icon, Terry Driver, the number 69, Crying Ryan, Hannah's Banana Slam, and Jamathong, Glenn Brabham, Aiden White, Keenan O'Donohue, Yanni Burgers, Meals on Wheels, Matthew M. Rice, Croner's Left Knee, Babe Landeskog, Carl Bertana Nanaluski, Chimmy, Chris P., Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey, Coyote's t- Season Tickets in Tempe, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood Fight Probert, Hred Hot, Ronick, Hassam Al Qasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Joseph Berry, Kalen Wood, Kevin James, King Tone, Las Ensaladas Picantes, Marcus, Massive Wong, Evan Longsaber, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, Nedelkovich, goalie number one, Nicholas Fritz, RA, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Send It Seawolf. That's what I appreciate about you. Tomato, tomato, potato, potato. I don't think Ryan said it right. Try again. Tomato, tomato, potato, potato. I'll mess with you again. General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, number one Detroit Red Guys fan, Antonio Gracias, Ben Barron, noted, noted Philip Zadina Whisperer, and Proud Wallman, a member of the Jake Wallman Gritty Club, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, CJ Wilkinson, who's a new name level sponsor. Welcome, CJ. Connor Layton, Darren Fick, Philip Zadiz Nuts, George's biggest fan, Grand Rapids hockey guy, Griffey Boy, Ronix Handlebar, James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, JM Rapsy, John Evans, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton. Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Lieutenant Matt S. of the Cheesebag Army, Linda Hull, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Ophelia, Reed, Steven, Tatar Sauce, who's a brand new name level sponsor. Welcome to the Dub Dub Club, the Hodag, and finally, my favorite patron, Matt Keeler. Thank you all so much. 
We'll see where all this is at on Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.